The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 202. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Physician universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the first part of the two-part season finale called The Pandorica Opens. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Folks, if you could do us a huge favor, go to as soon as you're done listening, don't do that right now, but as soon as you're done listening, you go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and write us a really nice review. We really like that. It helps us feel better about ourselves. But no, really what it does is it helps listeners find uh, this show. It helps new listeners show up. And if you could share the podcast with, with your Doctor Who friends, that also helps a lot. In this time when we're waiting for new Doctor Who listening to you know, Doctor Who fans listening to old episodes and having friends to talk about it and where your friends to talk about it with is the second best thing. So please, uh, if you do that for us, we really appreciate it. So I want to mention that I mentioned at the top, this is the first part of the two part season finale for the New Who Series 5. So the 11th Doctor's first season. Uh, so we've with the Pandoric Opens is this time, and next time we'll be talking about The Big Bang. So this episode really kind of wraps up, or these two episodes wrap up, the season-long story arc from Stephen Moffat's first season as showrunner. The, the crack in the wall. Cracks in time. Cracks in time. And we're going to see, in the, in the teaser, a bunch of people we've, we've seen throughout the season, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this is this yeah. is one of my favorite things about this episode is yeah. the opening the opening teaser because we get a montage of all these people we met earlier in the season. I gather that they filmed these scenes, you know, as extras when they filmed mm-hmm. the original episode so they didn't have to bring everybody back. But we start with Vincent raving on his bed and being attended by a couple of people who are talking about a painting of his that we don't see that it's stranger than what he usually does then we jump forward in time to world war ii when churchill and the scottish paisley guy whatever his name was bracewell yeah bracewell are looking at the picture as well then we get river song in the storm cage prison which is the you know we haven't seen that before but she's in prison for some reason but totally able to get out of it when she wants and she gets a Hmm. call rerouted from Churchill to tell her about this painting. Then she shows up in Starship UK in the 51st century or 52nd century to steal the painting from the Royal Galleries where she meets Liz 10. Then we see her being a 
rogue, I suppose you could say, in mm-hmm. the Maldovium, where she's trying to get a time bracelet from the blue Maldivar guy. Yes. And has uh, just gotten gotten him to drink micro explosives and offers to give him the the antidote if he gives her the time bracelet. And just wham, in this really short space, we have this forward moving plot mm-hmm. with all these people we've seen all season. And I really like this. I really yeah, there is a lot of really good moments in that, too. You know, just the the the. You know, Vincent, the tortured artist. And so he re- that right. really plays into it. And, you know, Churchill and Bracewell, which I'm trying to figure out which, when that was. Like, it must have, it, it was so happy it, before after. Bracewell died. You no, know, it's after, because uh, Bracewell didn't die. He's apparently come back, and you'll notice he's got a uh, black glove on one hand to indicate oh. that he's replaced his hand. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so and the so it's a message that they found the band go, the message delivered to, you know, in France, all, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I, I really like that. And that all sets up the next moment, which is on the TARDIS, we have Amy continuing on from the what was it, the end of the lodger where she found the engagement ring in the mm-hmm. doctor's coat. Right. And so she's perplexed by this engagement ring that the doctor has been carrying. Why is he have an engagement ring? And meanwhile, the doctor has landed the TARDIS on what he calls Planet One, the oldest planet in the universe, which has a diamond cliff with a message carved in it 50 feet high that was placed there <laughs> at the dawn of time, and no one's ever been able to translate it. So we're going to use the TARDIS translation circuits to, to, to uncover this mystery that no one has ever uncovered. And I love this one because he walks out and, once again... It's a message from River. It says, hello, sweetie. And then some Greek letters, which apparently are temporal coordinates. Well, except they're in three groups. And the first group is Theta Sigma, which was the doctor's nickname at the Academy. Oh, oh nice. And then the, then there's a Phi as the second group. And then Gamma, the third group is Gamma, Upsilon, Delta Sigma. So it would be Theta Sigma, Phi, Guds. <laughs> guds <laughs> that is apparently means go to uh britain <laughs> on the uh the the what was it the salisbury plain in mm-hmm. ad yep. 102 yes yeah okay um i, so, I like that what too when they land it's like oh it's it's 102 p.m or ad <laughs> yeah, p.m or a.m or ad yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're not sure whether that's time or date but you know we're wherever uh and that's when they get a uh, a Roman soldier approaches them at this point and identifies him as uh, was it C- Caesar? I think he, yeah, yeah. He, he thinks he's Caesar because Cleopatra um, is there. Because Cleopatra is there, which turns out, of course, to be a River. Did you notice that the Roman soldier had the hallucinogenic lipstick smeared on his face? Oh yes, yeah. She must have been running through that camp kissing Roman soldiers. <laughs> I, I think she enjoyed herself. I think she kissed everybody in the camp. That's well, you right. forgot to right. mention, too, in the, the prison, she got out by tricking the guard to basically let her out, but he thought that yes. he was holding her at bay. Yes, yes, with that the lipstick, yeah. I'm a little <laughs> surprised they didn't, they didn't do more with the Doctor as Caesar, because the Caesar at this time was Trajan. Yep. And, he, you know, there was involvement with the British Isles, and we had Hadrian's Wall coming up, although... That's still that was the next emperor, but it was a, it was a little surprised how quickly they dropped that. Yeah, yeah, that would have been fun. They did do more with Cleopatra, 
I mean, we get River dressed as Cleopatra and stuff. And at first, if you know anything about classical history, it's maddening <laughs> to just have Cleopatra here. Eventually, they hang a lantern on it because the commander of the Roman camp eventually comes back and was startled to learn that we are now playing host to Cleopatra, who's in Egypt and dead. And I'm going, <laughs> yeah. yeah, she died like 130 years before this, shortly after the Battle of Actium. And this is like, this is like to an American coming back home and learning that your city is playing host to Queen Victoria. It's <laughs> like, you know, I mean, she's in England and dead for 130 <laughs> years. Yeah. <laughs> 119 in her case. Yes. Uh, so, uh, so, but, but now that she's finally got the doctor there, she, she shows him this painting that has been, you know, this Van Gogh painting that has been the subject of this message. And it shows the TARDIS being blown apart. So we, we, we knew that the, from a previous episode, uh, the, 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 uh, the one with the cold earth, cold earth. Yes. Where the doctor had pulled the piece of the TARDIS out of the crack in time that, uh, that, that something happens to the TARDIS. So it shows it. The painting has a date and map coordinates and is titled The Pandorica Opens. So the, the date and map coordinates are that Salisbury Plain, yeah, in the time where they are. Um, the, the, and then they d discuss the Pandorica. Well, the Pandorica contains the most feared thing in the universe, the most powerful warrior ever. Um, and, you know, we're, mm -hmm. that's going to all of the aliens ever are going to want to come and, you know, open it. And and take possession of this awesome weapon, the doctor says. Interesting how he describes the legend about it. And he's very much, we're getting a lot of meta fairy tale here. Yeah. Because, you know, the doctor's even talking about, oh, this is just a fairy tale. And you know how fairy tales work. A, a good wizard tricked him into it. And, and But it was the kind of thing that would just fall out of the sky one day and burn down your whole civilization. Right, right. And this is like, uh, sounds like someone I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it describes a, a nameless, terrible thing, a goblin or wizard and et cetera, et cetera. Nothing could stop it or hold it or reason with it. Yeah. That, and so eventually we find out that it's describing him. So yeah. they go to, they go, they ride their horses over to Stonehenge because that's what's on the Salisbury Plain. Uh, and this is apparently where the Pandorica is. For some reason, uh, do they explain how they know to go to Stonehenge? That's that's where it is. It briefly in a line of dialogue, the doctor says, "If you if you you know put something like this important somewhere, you don't want to forget where you put it." So he right. reasons it must be under Stonehenge because it's a monument. Although there are there are other monuments on Salisbury Plain, and yes. some of them are at least one of them's bigger than Stonehenge. Right, but. You know, famous, I yeah. guess. Yeah. They actually did. They did film there at Stonehenge. Mm. They had to oh, do really? it like, yeah, they had to do it all in one day. They were not allowed to touch the rocks, but they apparently do touch the rocks, whether that's them cleverly gesturing at rocks in a way that looks like they're touching or whether they're actually breaking the rules is open to your interpretation. <laughs> why, why wouldn't you just build giant foam rocks and place them in a circle on some random spot it, easier to just get a one-day filming permit and go there and I, if you I could guess. if you could actually film on site so it's the real deal and you don't get the nitpicky of well that rock is actually you know five inches that way oh, instead you know like they care <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I mean, I suppose. No, I'm something... talking about the fans. I'm talking about the no, fans. I know. Saying... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, like the producers care whether we get, uh, we we notice the mistakes. Ultimately, it comes down to because you can. Because they can't. Right. Why not? Why? It's the season finale. We're doing a big, a big season finale thing. They find an underground chamber under one of the rocks. They, they go down. They don't see. There's a, like a still sparking active Cyberman's head laying nearby that they don't notice after having walked around there setting up their equipment for hours, apparently. But, you know, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, they find the Pandorica inside. It's a big cube. Cube. Yep. And uh, they also find Cyberman parts. Amy set reveals, so she's already revealed that the history of the Romans was one of her favorite subjects in school. And now she says, oh, Pandora's box was my favorite book as a child. Hmm, well, that's interesting. Uh, that, that, should, that, that seems significant. And in fact, again, they hang a lantern on that. The doctor kind of notes that that's an interesting coincidence, but uh, I don't have time to deal with that. Uh, so we'll come back to that. Uh, they, someone asked, I forget who asked it, I, I didn't mark it, but it says, uh, what could inspire the level of fear that went into making this box? Oh, Again. the doctor says that. Yep. And the doctor continues to say that. And then he continues to say it even more yet continuously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a flaw in the writing in this. As much as I like a lot of this episode, this, I think this is a flaw in the writing. The doctor, whenever there is a pause in the story or whenever there needs to be a distraction to keep the plot from advancing too rapidly, the doctor just out of nowhere starts talking to the Pandorica and wondering what could possibly be inside of it and why mm-hmm. people built it. And right. it just happens ad nauseum. Right, yeah. right. It's like this, this, the rapid pattern doctor. Like this is the, the, the Stephen Moffat doctors are the doctors who just can't stop talking. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? <laughs> and that's, this is evidence of that. Well, and, and then, then they repeat a number of times that, the, why don't I know about this? I know everything. I don't, I don't know why I don't know about what's inside this box. Right, right. Well, you will, you will soon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, they find out it's transmitting to everyone everywhere that it's opening. So who else is coming? And, and this is also where you ask, well, if everyone else can hear it, why haven't I heard it? Right. You know, that sort of thing. It turns out that every alien species he's ever encountered is now in orbit around the Earth. And in fact, this is the most aliens species ever in an episode of Doctor Who. So the, mm-hmm. all, they're all there. You've got the Autons. We'll see them in a second. We get the Daleks. We got the Cybermen. We get the Centaurans. We've got the the Lizard Jadoon. People. The Jadoon. The Jadoon. The Silurians. Right. Everybody's there. Um, and then they mentioned Slavine and Dravin and Sycorax and Zygon and all a bunch of them. Yes. River just rattles off a whole list of, of names, some of right. which I think they made up for this episode, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I think they did. Yeah. yeah. There is a Sycorax that we see at one point, so that, that's interesting. At one point he calls, the, you know, oh, we'll, we'll fight back against them because we have the greatest military machine in the history of the universe the romans and i'm thinking yeah right. no uh uh I, I the u.s military in world war ii could have defeated the roman legions easily uh, yes we had among other things nukes <laughs> yeah <laughs> there was a great short story i read online once if if a a modern 21st century uh u.s marine battalion was transported back in time to the height of the roman empire could it defeat the roman empire and so this guy Read out the scenario, including, you know, do they have him resupply? Do they not? Et cetera, et cetera. It was very interesting. Mm-hmm. 
I think yep. he actually got options for a film rights for it, which is really funny. interesting. Mm-hmm. So River goes to get the Romans to come and help, but the, the the their commander's return, as we mentioned, of her ray gun, he asks what it is, and she replies, a fool would say the work of the gods, but you've been a soldier too long to believe there are gods watching over us. There is, however, a man, and tonight he's going to need your help. Oh, oh yeah. This is this is like wrong on so many levels. Um, because just because you're a soldier doesn't mean you don't believe in the gods. I mean, right. there is, in fact, the saying: there yes. are no atheists in foxholes. I was just gonna say yep. That. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, I mean, so the Roman soldiers were probably more religious or superstitious than the average person. Oh. Yeah. Very religious. Um, in fact, the Romans prided themselves on their piety. If they they had a ceremony they would do if they were going to conquer a people, because they didn't just want to respect their own gods. They wanted to respect the gods of the people they were conquering. And so they, if they were conquering a place, they would have a ceremony known as the evocatio deorum, or the, the evocation of the gods, where what they would do is they'd say, you know, please, your lordships, uh, we're going to, and they have this whole ceremony for this, but basically, we need to conquer this city, and we'll treat you better than the people <laughs> who are living there right now, so come out of the temple here locally, and we'll take you back to Rome and show you proper worship and give you your props, but we need to conquer this city right now, so we want you on our side. And And they would do this. There's even debate in biblical scholarship about did they try to do this before they destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and is <laughs> the and, and is the Jewish historian Josephus covering up the fact that they did and that this is the abomination that causes desolation interesting it it, well if, I mean if their patterns are yeah, I think modern mergers and acquisition firms uh, do this now with uh, when they try to <laughs> hostile takeovers of uh, companies <laughs> so the Roman commander is a little uh, leery of, of going with River, but this uh, Roman soldier is standing in shadows so we cannot see his face. He volunteers to go. Dum, dum, dum. Thanks, mm. Dad. Spoilers. Meanwhile, Amy confronts the doctor with the ring, the engagement ring, and he tells her it's a memory of someone he lost. And he begins to tell Amy, you know, the reason he took her away from her house in Ledworth was because it was too big and empty. That her life doesn't make sense. And he, uh, he's trying to, I think, start an explanation of, right. you know, yeah. what's going on with her. They're interrupted, though, when the cyber arm starts shooting at them, the dismembered cyber arm. And the, the arm, the sh- meanwhile, shocks the doctor, like, tases him, while the head tries to get Amy. It sprouts out wires like tentacles. Tentacles. Uh, yeah. This is partly effective, and then... So, like, it, it, this is a dead Cyberman, mm-hmm. and the organics have not completely rotted away. When the, when the head attacks Amy, it develops a fissure down the front of its face so it can discharge the skull that's inside. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's really effectively creepy. Yeah. You know, when it opens up in front of Amy, inches from Amy's face, and she's staring at a skull, that's effectively creepy. But then... It does this chompy, bitey thing with the two yeah. halves, and it's right. like, oh, you just lost it. Yeah. Well, it should have just, like, grab her and tried to, like, swing around to the back of her head or something and just to envelop her. I mean, that would have been right. 
really yep. i think th- i think probably kids show we need to make it less scary i think might have mm-hmm. been like balancing off the really yeah. creepy with the campy well and, and my, yeah. my thought with the, the whole tentacle thing was dr octopus from spider-man you know? <laughs> yes, that kind of idea where you know where he can reach and grab and that's what it was doing but then right. it's also crawling along on those it also shoots her with a tranquilizer dart and yep. then that's when the cyber body comes out and starts chasing after her she runs into this other room and then the roman soldier comes and saves her kills the cyberman and it turns out to be rory who is expecting amy to be all like rory it's you and she's like, oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Walks away from mm-hmm. him. And he's a little perplexed. Now, up to now, there's been an interesting, and this is part of the fairy tale aspect of this. The doctor has been continuing, and he said this to her in a previous episode, but anything, if something can be remembered, it can come back. Yes. And she's been having the stir, especially with the ring, she's been having the stirrings of memory about Rory. Right. And in, in Vincent and the Doctor, she was crying about Rory without knowing precisely why she was crying. Mm-hmm. And so that's our hook for how Rory is coming back, is it's yes. somehow tied into her remembering him. Right. And and this is extremely fairy tale, and it's going to get more fairy tale yeah. for reasons we will see. Yes. But now that Rory is back and Amy has passed, uh, Amy is not been impressed by him. Yeah, yeah she's <laughs> unconscious at the moment. The doctor comes in and is so focused on the plan, he's interacting <laughs> with Rory and calling him Rory, but not realizing Rory is not dead anymore. Yeah. He says, I'm not exactly one to miss the obvious, Rory. <laughs> <And he's>, yeah. <laughs> Walks in another room on. and comes back. Yeah. Wait a second. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, he's like, I feel like there's something that I'm just, just staring me in the face and I'm missing it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think Rory coming back is kind of interesting because he comes back as kind of a you know a tough dude. Of course, he's a you know he's a Roman soldier and he you know he kind of a, he, a kind of a leader you know maybe like a what we'd call a sergeant today. Mm-hmm. And yet he's still Rory. He's still, he's still awkward. very much. He's still yes. you know kind of insecure. But he's pretty tough with that sword. I mean, he's still you know a strong strong character. And this is well, where his character really develops to that much more assertive. Yeah. Rory that Confident. I think that we've really come to like. Confident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this these two episodes are the full flowering of the character of Rory. The the Rory that that so many fans remember and love is where is this is where he comes into into his own. Yep. You know, before he was the henpecked sort of meek boyfriend tag along. But now, I mean Rory, like as we'll see, and we'll get into it, this is where Rory really becomes something. I did like here when the doctor says, How can you be here? And Rory says, I don't know. It's kind of fuzzy. And the doctor's like, fuzzy? Well, I died and turned into a Roman. It's very distracting. (laughs) (laughs) Classic understatement. Meanwhile, all the... Yeah. And even though they do... You can kind of piece together what's happened in hindsight, Mm -hmm. but they, they spend a lot of time with how can Rory be here? And basically, the initially, at least, the doctor announces it's just a miracle. Right, which is interesting. Yes, just sometimes the universe just does things. So that at this moment, all the aliens start showing up overhead, like flying over ab- above Stonehenge, and River has been sent off to go bring the TARDIS because they're going to need it. And meanwhile, the, the Pandorica is opening. And uh, the and opening it, effect looks nice. You've got yeah. these circular locking mechanisms. It's like a big, complicated dial of some kind 
on each side of the black box. And as mm-hmm. the mechanism rotates, you get some green backlighting so you can see the mechanism. And it looks really cool. It is cool. Yeah. The Pandora is one of their one of the best like props in who I think I just I just like the it's the idea of it is interesting. It's clever. It's and I like the design of it. I, I've, I've, I really like it. So um, so the all the aliens drop above. So the doctor runs up in, into Stonehenge, stands on a rock and he does the Time Lord victorious deal, you know, uh, telling all the assembled enemies with, that they can't take him, even though he's completely unarmed. So they with, all leave with, with their silly little guns. Yes. Got to get in the gun digs. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. And this is his most boasty speech ever. <laughs> yes. This it, it's the the basic idea is you're all here. Look at me. I'm helpless. I'm vulnerable. I don't have a backup. I don't have a plan. But remember, every dark day I defeated you, and then do the smart thing. Let someone else try first. At which uh, every every ship opens up with their phasers, and the episode is over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the so this was a stalling tactic on his part. He expects it to keep them busy squabbling for 30 minutes. This is really the apogee of the mm-hmm. doctor's boastiness. I mean, we had a hint of this and it made sense at the time in Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead where the doctor at, as at the resolution, turns to the Vashnarada and says, "You're in the biggest library in the world. Look me up." And right. they and and that resolves the plot. This is like taking that and cubing it. Yeah, and it works less well here than it did than it did the first time around. Yeah. And even the even Stephen Moffat is aware you can only go so far in this direction because. In the not-too-distant future, the Doctor will announce that he's gotten too big and needs to pull back from from the kind of <laughs> public struttiness he's been doing. Well, and interesting, even in this episode, the, he's going to get his comeuppance. He's going to be revealed as not being all that in a box of chips. You know, I mean, he's going to mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> laid your, low your ch- pretty quickly. Your chips come in boxes? Uh, wow. Some some of them do, yes. Well, okay. British well, chips British, or British American chips? chips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, British chips. <laughs> I thought they came in wrappers. Uh, it sort of depends. Um, okay. don't, don't look too closely at my analogies, please. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. Uh, so River gets to the TARDIS and tries to run it, but it's acting all weird for her. So we're not sure what's going on there. Rory now realizes that Amy doesn't remember him. He says, I don't understand. Why am I here? Because you are. This is the whole, uh, the universe is vast and complicated and ridiculous sometimes. And impossible things just happen. We call them miracles. 900 years, I've never seen one yet, but this would do. So he's, you know, mm-hmm. saying it could be a miracle. Uh, meanwhile, River gets the, the TARDIS to going, lands, and she doesn't land at Stonehenge in 102 AD. She lands on the day of the crack in time, 626, 2010, June 26, 2010, at Amy's house. Yep. Uh, and she, uh, let's see, she, oh, the, it's the screen inside into. the TARDIS, yeah, uh, breaks in the shape of the of the crack, and we hear a, a voice say, "Silence will fall." So we're not yeah, sure, yeah, which which will never really be explained ever, ever. Yes, no. yes. I mean, we'll we'll see the silence, but we won't un- we won't have the this voice explained, right? The but what she does find is scorch marks on the lawn, indicating some spaceship has landed there, and the front door has been broken down. So she knows some aliens have come to 
Amy's house, and she goes inside, and she finds a book uh, a, a, about Roman Britain and mm-hmm. also the legend of Pandora's box. Pandora, by the way, a lot of people don't realize Pandora was a robot. I mean, they oh. didn't have they didn't have the word robot in ancient Greece, but that's uh-huh. what Pandora was. Hmm. She was made by Hephaestus, uh-huh. and she is depicted on like Greek pottery and stuff with this blank robot like expression on her face. She's an artificial woman. Oh hmm. yeah. So they actually had the concept of robots, even if they didn't have the modern name for it. She wasn't the only one. In any event. River is looking through the book on Roman Britain and realizes I've seen these exact soldiers before. Right, right. They were at the camp in 102 AD. And the penny drops for her, and she realizes the 102 AD scenario is all built out of Amy's memories. And that includes Rory. That's Mm -hmm. why Rory is there. He's been reconstructed from Amy's memories subconsciously, even though they don't fully say that. When you when you look uh, at the, the the image of the Pandora's box, it's identical to the Pandorica, yeah, just with the right. top opening instead of with the side opening. Yeah. yeah, and so she realizes this is all an alien trap that that right. whoever broke in here has configured for the Doctor and for and 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 she says this, and later the aliens will say it that it's a trap the Doctor couldn't resist because it's built out of the memories of his companion. I don't get that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, but uh, why can't why couldn't he resist it, or why did they need to involve the memories of his companion? Just come up with a trap, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, make it Gallifrey. Hey, Gallifrey's back. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of traps yeah. you could have made. Yeah, uh, it's that's an interesting. Maybe they've suspected his fascination with Amy, or I don't know. How'd they get enough data on him? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is weird. Back at the Henge. Uh, I, that's what I call it. All the cool people mm-hmm. call it the hench. Rory mm-hmm. is talking to Amy, and she starts crying out of happiness and doesn't know why she's crying. And Rory's like, "It's because you you're remembering me." River is trying to contact the doctor, but can't get through. She can't get a, a message through. Then we ha- the doctor hears a tone sound, and behind him, all the Romans, and also including Rory, who's not in the chamber but is with Amy, become very robotic. And then the Pandorica opens. And Rory is fighting it. Whatever it is is happening to him. And it turns out that all the Romans, including Rory, are Autons, the the plastic robot people with guns in their hands. Yeah. And I want to say that this, so we're building to the climax of the episode here. And, and, you know, River's been on the time phone with the doctor telling him this is all a trap. And the music is very interesting here. It's very suspenseful. Mm-hmm. And there's a really effective mixing of fear and and accelerating dramatic tension mm-hmm. with all the stuff going on. This is a really effective climax at this point. Right. Oh, one of the things from Amy's memory is, is not just that, like the re- reason Rory is there is there is a photo of Rory and Amy dressed up in their costumes. Like, remember when, the, when we first saw mm-hmm. Amy, she was in a policewoman costume. Rory was dressed in a Roman costume. So, uh, mm-hmm. so that might be wh- why he's there. Anyway, at this point, Amy finally remembers Rory. It's like the, it breaks through. And at the same time, the Daleks Supreme that we'd seen and all the other enemies show up in the chamber and tell the doctor that the Pandorica has finished scanning his capacities and limits. And the doctor finally realizes that the Pandorica is a prison designed specifically to hold him. 
uh, that right. it's a prison designed to keep and hold the doctor. And here we arrive at the darkest point of the story, which is sometimes in writing circles called the belly of the beast, mm -hmm. uh, where everything looks bleakest for our characters. Because just as Amy re finally remembers who Rory is, he momentarily succumbs to his Auton programming and shoots her dead. Right. And so Rory is grieving. Amy is dead. River is trapped in the TARDIS. The doctor is being trapped in the Pandorica. This is as bleak as it gets. Well, and it gets even worse because the, the aliens say, we're putting you in here because we've discovered that, that ex TARDIS exploding is what destroys the universe. Well, no, no, they, they haven't figured that out. They figured out that the doctor is the cause of the cracks in right. time that destroy right. the universe, and in fact, the cyber leader says every universe will be deleted. Yes. Mm -hmm. By the way, these are the, the candy-colored Daleks from the most yep. recent episode, so they do appear more than once. Yes. Um, <laughs> but they go by so fast, nobody has time to complain about them. <laughs> right. So the villains have all figured out the Doctor causes the cracks in time, which destroys the universes. Therefore... The villains are the good guys. They're saving yeah. the universe from the Doctor, <laughs> right. which is a great <laughs> twist. And it is a good so twist. We, they may be bad guys, but they're good enough. They want to save all of creation. And, <laughs> and, then, and so they're putting the Doctor in the Pandorica, and the Doctor's trying to explain that, no, it's not me. It's the TARDIS blowing up that causes the cracks in time. And he says, and here we have to up the stakes to universal disaster because mm -hmm. reasons. Every sun, this makes no sense. Every sun in the universe will supernova at every moment in history. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't really make uh, sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, what they don't realize, of course, is that River can and is flying the TARDIS too. Mm -hmm. And so they, as they seal him in, the TARDIS is stuck underground somewhere? Like, yeah, they, opens they, the door and there's a wall of rock. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that's a rock or a sarsen or, you know, a standing stone or what that is, uh, but she can't get out in any event. Yep. Yes. I, I'm still not She's certain. sealed in either way. Why, why does the TARDIS explode? Do, uh, well, is, that's a good question for another day that we'll only very briefly ever deal with in the future because Stephen Moffat likes to have dramatic setups with very little payoff. Yep. Right. Cause that, that's actually at the end of the silence, isn't it? Like the, the, yep. the, uh, okay. That's right. 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 That, I, I made a note of that when, in the, uh, so when we, when we get to the end of the big bang, that I think that's, that's something that's left hanging is it, the doctor himself says, so why did all this happen? But yeah. And it gets dealt with in like a single line of dialogue about a, it was the Covarian faction offshoot sect that did this. Right, right, right. Uh, so the TARDIS explodes underground. Amy is dead. All the sun supernova. The end. Uh, goodbye, Doctor Who forever. No, of course not. Well, to be continued. How could we? Yep. How could we continue? Of course, we'll continue. So, and that's when we we come to the end of this first uh, part of the two parter. Any other notes on this episode, guys? Uh, Father Corey. Nothing here. Okay. Jimmy? Nope. All right. So uh, we hate to leave you with a cliffhanger for a week, folks, but that's what we're going to do. <laughs> Stephen gonna... Moffat did. Yeah, Steve Moffat can do it. We'll do it. Uh, but we won't leave you hanging for a year and a half, though. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Doctor Who, including... Oh, actually, before we get to that, 
I forgot. Uh, we have feedback. Uh, oh, we got to so get to I, the feedback. Oh, yeah. Yes, we have uh, great uh, feedback from our listeners. I forgot all about that. I forgot to put a note in my notes there. But uh, this is feedback on our recent episode on Vincent and the Doctor, uh, episode 196. From Facebook, Bennett, uh, our, our friend Bennett, uh, writes, The director of photography on this was fantastic. The color palette that they used, especially around Amy. It couldn't be a coincidence that they, that they took extra effort considering the subject. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't normally see this kind of thing in something I watch, but this just went off like a flashbulb, which is true. I, 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 I agree. The color in that episode was fantastic. It was really saturated, really strong colors, which yeah. really matches with, you know, Van Gogh's well, style. It's, it's, it is it is interesting how much color palette, not even like brightness, just the palette they choose can affect the episode because you know of course you look mm. at more more sinister parts you know it'll be darker colors you know yeah. even if it's still light it's still very dark and blues desaturated. and things like that yeah, yeah yeah desaturated but then you know something like this where yeah they made sure there was lots of vibrant colors kind of mm -hmm. throughout to get more which is, of course is interesting with the depression that vincent van gogh went through to have the bright colors which are generally right. considered joyful colors yeah that's the that's the uh the, the the paradox of of Van Gogh. Yeah. Uh so thank you Bennett. That was that's a that was a good point. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh Robert Bruning on Facebook writes uh simply this episode makes me tear up every time and you're not the only one, Rob. <laughs> oh yeah. For a lot of us. <laughs> uh it is very affecting. Ted Coville writes on Facebook, I've enjoyed this episode in the past and was looking forward to this this week's podcast. A couple of things that I came up with. The fangirl Amy was a bit too much for me, but I overlooked it. Mm. I am glad to hear the crew also had tears in their eyes during the scene when Vincent visited the museum. I thought that I was alone. He means thing, us. Yes, he means yeah. us, the panel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that I thought I remembered from watching this episode in the past, when they went back to the museum at the end, I remember that one of the paintings had a small TARDIS in the corner. Maybe I missed it, or maybe, it, because it, maybe it's the difference in the editing from Amazon Prime Video to HBO Max. You didn't miss it. I, I, maybe it's you were remembering the the painting of the TARDIS in this episode, although it's not a small TARDIS in the corner. It's I mean, you know the the funny part is, and this might might be the Mandala effect. Uh, I seem to recall it too, and it could also be related to the end of time, the David Tennant finale, where Wilf goes into a church at Christmas time, and there's a stained glass painting with a little TARDIS. That in it. could be it. That could be it. I think there might also have been some fan art or like a T-shirt or something that has the like. I, there's a there's a several versions of Starry Night that have the TARDIS flying through the Starry Night that I've mm -hmm. seen as well. So that might also be what you're remembering, like having seen that. So yeah, but it is that's this is how the Mandela effect works. <laughs> Coming up on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, the Mandela effect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. yeah. Yes, we, we do have to talk about that because it yeah, is really fascinating. And, and it might very well be because I, I thought it was like the church with the TARDIS kind of at the bottom of it, but it might be kind of a combination of some of the 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 fan art and the 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 stained glass. Yeah. Yes, I think that I think that's probably the the case. But certainly, it's it's not in the uh, Amazon Prime Video version, which which I watched. Uh, and, and I watched off the the DVDs. I, I've got the DVDs uh, oh, yeah. of these episode of these seasons, and it, it's not there either. So, okay. Uh, C. Byzand on YouTube writes, "I love this episode of Doctor Who. To me, it's one of the defining episodes that allows Doctor Who to illustrate one of the great Catholic mysteries: the meaning of suffering. 
Vincent does not return to his time cured of his depression or, or, and his suffering. However, he now has the context or meaning to his suffering. He knows what pouring, that pouring his suffering into his art, it will be seen and inspire a world beyond him and will, ha- will have been meaningful. Thus, he willingly walks back into his suffering. Christ gave us the context and meaning to our suffering when he revealed its redemptive and intercessory nature through him, that God would accept our sufferings on the behalf of another. Now we can continue and push forward through the maddening tragedy because we know that goodness, truth, and beauty himself await us and has given meaning to all our darkest days. That's, that's an excellent reflection on that. Yeah, thank you very much. The meaning of suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So that's all of our uh, feedback for this time. So uh, now uh, we love to get your feedback. So, you know, send us more. Yes. But now is a good time for us to, for me to then take a moment to thank our patrons who help us create the secrets of Doctor Who, including this time Meta D, Fabian K, Joshua D, Michael Z, and Jordan H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. Uh, what do you think of The Pandorica Opens? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the sixth Doctor story. No, I'm just kidding. We'll be discussing the second part of this finale, <laughs> The Big Bang. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, nothing is ever forgotten, not completely. And if something can be remembered, it can come back. And that's how I find my keys. Right. This is going to be fun.